This episode is part of the series Know Your Candidates, conversations with city council and mayoral candidates for the election of 2017 in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. The Radio Plasma podcast does not support or oppose any candidate for public office. This is a nonpartisan, independent media outlet dedicated to promoting a peace culture, embrace diversity, conversations, sharing of opinions and ideas, and ensure diverse voices are represented in our media. Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega, and this is the series Know Your Candidates, conversations with the candidates in the election of 2017 in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. Today, I want to welcome the mayoral candidate, Jason Ferreira. Jason, thank you for being here, and welcome to the Radio Plasma podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. So you are running for mayor, and we just had days ago the preliminary election. So there were four candidates, and now we have two, you being one of them, and the other, the incumbent mayor, Alex Morse. So this is a perfect opportunity to continue a little bit of what was the conversation during that uh, mayoral forum that happened on September 20th at El Mercado, but also to know more in-depth and more personally a little bit about you, about your plans, your campaign, your ideas, and provide the public this opportunity to have more information about who the candidates are. Great, great. So let's start with, with you. What can you tell us about yourself, about your personal experience, your motivations to run for mayor? Sure. Um, so I'm from Holyoke. I grew up in Holyoke, uh, sort of near the YMCA, uh, which is in the middle of Ward 4. I went to Holyoke High School. I played, played sports in high school. Basketball was my favorite sport, still is. I uh, coach basketball at the Y still. I've done that for the last 12 years. Uh, it's an inner city league, which it's, it's one, of my, one of my passions, aside from politics, is coaching young people and, and playing the game of basketball. So, yeah, so, you know, I grew up in Holyoke. I ran for city council uh, at large. I think I was 26 or 27 at the time. Uh, I came in ninth. Uh, and the, the top eight are elected. So I lost my first election, but, you know, I learned a lot. I, I you know, I thought I knew a lot at the time, but, you know, you kind of learn or, or know what you don't know after, after running an election. So, you know, from there, I started to really dig deep on a lot of the issues and start to get to know the players and some of the motivations be, behind why we do what we do in the city. And, you know, the deeper you dig, the more, the more you want to know. And so I ran again two years later for Ward 4. Tim Purrington had been the uh, city councilor for Ward 4 previously and uh, did a great job. But he decided he was going to step aside. So I ran again uh, against a person named Libby Hernandez. And, um, and I won the election. I won by, I think, 17 votes. And uh, interesting thing is that Libby and I weren't, weren't really rivals in the election. We actually became, became friends and to this day are, are very friendly. And I have a lot of respect for Libby. And I hope that uh, one day she runs again because I think she was fr frankly an excellent candidate uh, for council. So I was on council and, you know, some of the things, the, the very first order I filed was 
was for a youth city councilor seat. So it had been, an, it wasn't an idea that was original to me. It had been discussed for a, at least a decade before that I'm aware of. Um, a lot of it was through the Hoyoke Youth Task Force, but some other youth groups had had been talking about it, and they could never get the votes. They could never, they could never get it through the council. So the first order I filed was for the creation of a youth city councilor seat. And I worked with um, Councilor Lisi, Rebecca Lisi had um, signed on to the order after. And she and I had gone and spoke with a number of youth in the city and really got a better idea of what, you know, what they were looking for and what was, I guess, logistically practical for, you know, for a young person to, to sit on the city council. So, um, you know, for, for years there had been, um, like I had said, an attempt to, to get that through. And we sat down and talked with uh, Kevin Jourdain, who had been just recently elected city council president. Joe McGivern had been council president for, um, I think, 25 years straight prior to Kevin uh, getting elected as the city council president. And he said, you know, I said, Kevin, what's, you know, what concerns do you have here? And he said, well, I have ABC concerns. And, and Rebecca and I kind of talked and we realized that, you know, the, the concerns that Kevin had were, were really kind of, I don't want to say not important to us, but they were kind of really secondary things that didn't really impact, you know, the, the, um, the position in the way that we had viewed it and in the way that the youth had viewed it as, as being important. So we made a couple of changes to the, to the proposed legislation and uh, it passed and it passed easily. It was like 13 to two, you know, so we had sat, it took, a six minute conversation with somebody who had been kind of staunchly opposed to the idea, uh, found common ground really quickly, re, uh, reworked the, the ordinance to be, you know, to kind of fit those concerns. And now sit, we have, now we have youth city councilor on the, uh, on the council. And it's something I was really proud of. And, you know, number one, I really strongly believe, you know, the, the young people in our city have a, a big role to play in anything that we're doing. Any, any progress we're making, it's got to include the young people. We're a young city, um, for sure. So uh, I was glad just in that sense to, to kind of help give our young people a, a seat at the table and a voice um, on the city council to advocate, you know, not just for youth issues, but for all issues. You know, it touches, you know, crime and, and schools and fire departments and economic development and, and all of that impacts young people just as much as, as it impacts older people. So I was, I was proud in that sense. And, and number two, I was really happy to, to be able to find common ground and work with somebody that on the surface, you know, didn't seem like they really uh, were a supporter of this idea. And um, I, I think it taught me the lesson that you know, you, you need to dig deep and you need to, to really listen to what the other side is saying. And if you do that, you can make progress. You know, we could have just dug in and said, you're wrong. And he would have fired back with, you're wrong. And, and nothing would have happened. And we would have no, we would have no youth, on, youth on the city council, but we didn't. You know, we, we, if you genuinely sit and listen, I think what we find is that we, uh, we have more in common than we realize, you know, a lot more. And there's, there's a lot of fear in the air, and, and then certainly the national uh, dialogue, I think, is, is expanding that fear for sure. But, um, you know, when we sit on, on a local level and genuinely uh, have a debate or a, dis or a healthy discussion, I think we're going to find that we have a lot in common and, and we'll be able to make some significant progress. So I don't recall what the rest of the question was. I kind of went off on a tangent, but... Um, I apologize. No, that's perfect. It is <laughs> basically having a little bit of, uh, of the background of what was the work. Now you are running for mayor. Mm. So after being city councilor for Ward 4, mm. 
and being out of the game for the political game. Sure. You decide to come back this time as mayor candidate. Right. So what was the driven for you to make this decision? Right. And, and it's kind of a similar answer. So, um, you know, that's the, the, the number one question I get asked on the street is, you know, why are you doing this? You know, you have, you know, these different things going on in your life. It seems kind of like a, an odd time to, to commit yourself to this, you know, and, um, you know, so a couple of weeks ago, there were two fundraisers and within a week of each other. And one was, was Rebecca Lisi's and one was Dan Bresnahan's. And, you know, those are two people, if you, if you kind of look at the political sphere of the city, those are two people who are really kind of on opposite ends. So I went to both fundraisers and, and was completely comfortable at both. You know, I knew a lot of people at both fundraisers. I was able to have some productive conversations at both fundraisers. I listened a lot. Um, and I got a lot of different perspectives. So I think, you know, when you look at that, you know, those two fundraisers, it's really two groups of people that on the surface are, they're kind of in their own bubble. You know, they don't interact a lot. There's not a lot of discussion there. There's just kind of, you know, a labeling of one group and a labeling of another group. And I think there's not a lot of people in the city who can seamlessly go between the two, the two groups. And, um, you know, looking at it and, and learning from my experience working uh, with Kevin, City Council President Kevin Jourdain on uh, the youth issue, I learned that there's value to, to understanding everybody and there's value to having an open dialogue with everybody. And, um, you know, that's really the role that I hope to play is to, is to come in and, and listen and really genuinely have some good discussions with everybody in the city and make some progress. So, you know, I think that's really my my main strength here. It's kind of a hard thing to explain and to quantify, but I mean, you know, I, it, to me, that's the that's really a, a valuable thing. There's so much that's uh, so much good work that's not done because of our inability to really listen and work with other people. So it is clear that there is a division in our city, yep. and yeah, we will we will get back to it in a in a moment. When you began your campaign, you utilized the phrase progress for everybody. Mm. And you were mentioning just now during these answers. So I believe this is your foundation. To some degree. I mean, I think uh, really the, the way I was looking at it is, you know, a lot of what what's been touted as progress in the past is something that I, I question whether that's actually helping uh, the average Hoyo person, you know, and I mentioned the single parent with three children is a test that I use. You know, I, I ask myself is, you know, if the issues are so complex, you know, we love to break it down into black and white, but it's never, never that easy. And so one of the tests I like to give myself is how is this going to help a, a single parent living in, living in Hoyoke, living in the downtown maybe, you know? And so, you know, how is this going to help a, a single person, a single parent? You know what I mean? And, and the, the various issues, you know, is this is, you know, the train station's a nice thing, right? The train station's a nice thing. But, but is that really helping somebody in the neighborhood right now? Is it helping them in 10 years? Is it helping the single parent in 10 years? You know, those are the, those are the questions I'm asking myself. It's a, it, you know, we all can agree philosophically why, why a train station is nice and why it could help a city. And, and maybe those things will come to fruition and maybe they won't. But, 
you know, we've invested a lot of time and a lot of political capital in bringing this thing in. And, and you know, the single parent that lives a block away from the train stations, life really isn't going to be impacted that much by that. And that's really what I'm talking about is that, you know, we need to hit the target more. We need to, we need to, um, you know, we need to provide the, the, the services of government in a way that are actually impacting people, not having some philosophical discussion about why a train station or why, you know, some various various uh, development is may or may not help people, you know. So, you know, we're talking about public schools, we're talking about public safety, and we're talking about economic development. You know, these are things that are important, you know, jobs and housing and good schools and clean parks. Those are things that help a single parent living in the flats or living in Ward 4 or living in the Highlands. It doesn't really matter. That's progress. You know, if we can regain local control of our public schools, like that to me is progress for no matter who it is. A train station is progress for some people, but it's a pretty narrow group of people. You, that, that, and, and it's a nice thing, and I'm glad we have it, and it's beautiful, and it's a beautiful thing. And I sit and have, we got our printing down at the Hoyo Creative Arts Center, which, uh, which is right near the train station. So, you know, I sit and have lunch there, and, I, you know, I, I probably spend more time at the train station than almost everybody in the city, you know, and I really like the train station. It's not something against the train station. It's just, you know, I, I really think I, I want to focus on things that, that have a tangible impact on the people in our city who need services who need the you know the government to to be led in a direction that's gonna that's gonna help their lives in a in a you know in a meaningful way so you were mentioning right now topics that are important economical development education and more particularly regarding to the state of the public schools right now mm. safety yep and i would like to address right now the safety component sure right now we are having An interesting time where safety in general in Holyoke has improved, is not in the best situation yet. There's still a lot of work to do. So what is your position right now on the current status of the city of Holyoke regarding safety and what are your plans? Sure. So, I mean, you know, safety, I think th this campaign and, and, and a lot of this is my fault. I think a lot of the... Uh, The discussion has been about the fire department, and that's really only one facet of, of, of overall public safety of our community. So uh, maybe I'll talk to that first. You know, the, <clears throat> the mayor and I are just, I think, philosophically in disagreement about, about the value of, of Engine 2. I think, you know, for me, I look at uh, risk. I look at, you know, where the fires in the city take place, and uh, 90% of them take place in the coverage zone of Engine 2. You know, West Holyoke, my parents live up... Uh, up near Wyckoff Country Club. And, you know, a fire in their raised ranch is not the same as a fire in a hundred-year-old six-story building with outdated, with outdated sprinklers. It's just not the same thing. It's not a similar risk there. So the, the risk here in the area that covers Engine 2 and the number of fires in that area because of the age of the structures predominantly, to me, makes it a... a a poor choice to save money. I think if you're going to really, if you really want, if it comes down to dollars and cents, and I think that it does, I think there's a number of other options that are more practical and logical and doesn't expose a, a large section of our city to, to further risk. I think, um, you know, one example might be engine, I think it's engine five, uh, right near Nick's Nest. So this is the section that covers my house and it covers my parents' house. You know, there's currently two two pieces of apparatus there. 
you know what could what could be done is you know rather than having a separate engine in a separate ladder truck you could have a quint which is uh, basically two in one mm-hmm. so you're going to save the money still but in the in the coverage really is going to be maintained but the risk isn't there the the risk isn't the same as engine 2 where you know there's all these these old buildings which are which are you know just naturally much more dangerous than a than a like i said a raised ranch so you know just the choice of engine 2 to me is i think is wrong so that's that's the fire thing i mean we can go on forever about it but you know police police certainly is another thing right and and what what are we trying to accomplish? You know, what, what's valuable to us? So, I mean, I see, you know, six months back, we have a, a raid, there's a drug raid, right? And so that's over in uh, uh, Nelson Roman's ward over near Chestnut Park, um, t- which to me, it, you know, if I have to, you know, that, that's a section of the city that needs some, some attention, right? But what we're seeing is, you know, state and local police dressed up in military fatigues coming into our uh, neighborhoods with, you know, what look like assault rifles. And it's, you know, I do understand that there's, um, there's a lot of risk. And I certainly appreciate that from the police. But, you know, I'm questioning whether we, is, is that something that we want in our community? You know, because, you know, you're talking to some of the young people that live in that neighborhood and they're, you know, they don't know the difference. They haven't really had a, an impression of the police one way or the other. And they're, they're genuinely like inf- afraid and, and intimidated by it. And, and so would I, you know, I would be too. It's, it's, you know, that, that's something that I really had an issue with. And, you know, they do a great job and drugs is a big part of it. Um, so we need to obviously be proactive about addressing some of the issues with drugs. And, you know, my approach in, th- in that is is to really try to develop a, a regional solution. You know, it seems like a lot of people have an issue with the needle exchange. I've come out in support of the needle exchange and that's fine. But it's, you know, the needle exchange really is providing a service to the entire region. And so, you know, I what I really would like to advocate for is um, Hoyoke working with other communities to kind of start to, you know, parcel out some of the services. You know, I mean, Hoyoke has Providence Healthcare, Hoyoke has the Needle Exchange. You know, Hoyoke's kind of doing its part for for the Pioneer Valley. You know, I'd like to see South Hadley and Northampton and, well, Northampton does a part, but South Hadley and West Westfield and West Springfield start to kind of play a more proactive role in starting to address some of these issues with drugs. And, you know, I think when that, uh, if that takes effect, that'll have a, a positive impact on uh, on the city for sure. Now that we're talking about drugs in, mm. in particular, yes, this is definitely a, a big problem, a big issue that is pertaining not only to Holyoke, but the whole state, the whole nation. Yep. There were, during the conversation with some ward candidates, the reality of having, especially in this area where we are located right now during mm-hmm. this interview, the South Holyoke area, that drug presence is a big issue. Yep. And that also increases the presence of the police. Yep. as an understandable situation, but also it creates this perception of for the community to feel profiled or to feel harassed because the treatment around this situation is apparently is not the same compared to people living in other wards. And yeah, this is part of, of what you're saying. This is a situation that it needs to be addressed and worked on and figure out ways to make it work. My concern happening right now is how... As a mayor, could you address the presence of those drug dealers in the city to be eradicated? 
I'll tell you, if, if there's anyone who can sit and give you an, an answer to that question, they should be elected president. I mean, it's, a, it's just a very complex thing. And, and there's, you know, it's really a number of issues colliding in one. You know, it's an issue of poverty. It's an issue of opportunity. It's an issue of the environment that somebody grows up in or somebody is brought into. You know, there's, uh, there's just so many things that we need to be worked on that are to be honest, probably with beyond the uh, the powers of a local government. I mean, it's a, like you said, it's a national issue. It, it's an issue that's at the very least needs to be handled on a on a pretty large regional scale. So, you know, that being said, are there some things that can be done locally to to address the issue? I, without a doubt, I think number one, you you know, we really need to build some genuine bridges into the into the community. I think, you know, community policing is is a nice idea. And, you know, a lot of times what we see, though, is, a, is there's like a, a van. It looks like an old bread truck set up with a tent in a certain neighborhood in the city, and they're there for a day, or maybe they're there once a week for a couple of weeks. And, and then they move on to another section, and that's kind of what, you know, what the directive being given. And to me, that's not necessarily the same thing as community policing. You know, that's kind of just setting up and saying, you know, we're here. Really genuinely building trust in the community, you know, there's a number of things, and, you know, the military fatigues and the assault rifles is not something that's helping that. That's building fear and, and distrust. And, and I can understand that, you know, I really can. And so, you know, for me, I think it's a lot of those nuanced things, you know, rather than putting a truck up to make it seem like we're doing something, I, I'd rather spend the time and resources in the community and actually engaging with particularly with young people, but not just young people and trying to kind of build that trust between, uh, between the police and, and the, the government of the city and, and some of the community. And, you know, I know personally, I know a, a number of police officers. I've, I'm from Holyoke, so, you know, just statistically, you know, a, a certain group of, of people I graduated high school with or were friends with growing up become police officers, and you get to know people. And certainly running for office, you, you get to know a number of people who work for the city. And, and I have to say, a number of them are, you know, among the most impressive people I, I know. You know, there's uh, Captain Matt Moriarty is somebody who comes to mind. Um, he's a conservative person. He's a Republican. I mean, I'm a Bernie Sanders Democrat, but he and I see have a lot in common, I think, in terms of approach. He's somebody that really uh, gets out into the community and engages the community, you know, and, and, and that's that's what's important. You know, the, the punchline of, of community policing is nice, but actually, you know, building bridges into the community is 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 what we need to be doing, so... Another point that is part of your platform on your website, mm. and I like those two words, good government. Mm. And you talk about transparency. Yep. So what are the plans and what is your, your perspective on what good government should be? Sure. So, you know, obviously I think we're all aspiring to good government. So it's kind of a cliche, I suppose, that we still, I think it it sounds nice, right? But... You know, the first thing that comes to mind is campaign finance reform. So for me, like I said, I'm a, you know, a Bernie Sanders Democrat. And one of the main reasons for that is, is the role, the, the problem that I have with campaign money coming in and influencing elected officials. And I think it's, it's pretty easy to see uh, on the national scale when, you know, both parties are receiving huge donations from Goldman Sachs or whatever, whatever industry we're talking about. And then legislation, you know, predictably comes, comes across that clearly favors those donors. But, but locally, we have the same issue. So running for mayor, one thing I've learned is there's, 
it's it's actually not I don't want to say it's easy, but it's not difficult to raise money, but it's it's difficult to raise money that doesn't have uh, strings attached to it. So, you know, you get various people who said, "Oh, well, you know, let's sit down for a meeting and they have a check for $800 or $1,000, but they they want something. They want a they want a city contract. They want a city towing contract or they want they're interested in the city health insurance contract or they're interested in doing some attorney work for Suez Corp who runs our sewer system. You know, the number of people who have come up to me and said, you know, whoa, you know, I'm, you know, they kind of act like they're all about your politics. And then, you know, you get to the end of it and it's like, here's a check, but we want this, you know, and it's like, we're, we're not interested. You know what I mean? We're not interested. That's not the type of, uh, of leader that I aspire to be. And so, you know, looking at the mayor, you know, he's raised, I think, $65,000, which to me is an enormous sum of money. And I think especially when you, when you compare it to, to some of the other similarly sized cities in the, in the Commonwealth, you know, last election, he raised like $100,000. And it's like, you sit here and, and you, and I know there are people that are, that are offering me money. And it's like, it's frustrating to sit and not have a big fat war chest knowing that you could, but it, I don't want the strings. And, and frankly, I don't want to be doing business with the type of people who, who only want, want to do business with the city for their own personal gain. And so, you know, the example I think that stands out the, the clearest is the, the city towing contract. So we had two companies that, ha- that are based out of the city of Hoyoke who came in and they donated big money to the, to the campaign of, of my opponent. And, and then the, the city towing contract was flipped. It went from a, a local vendor to these out-of-city vendors. Who, the local vendor did not, do, did not donate money. The out-of-city vendors did donate money and they donated big money. And their employees donated big money and they kept donating big money throughout the campaign. And, and so, you know, do I know, can I say unequivocally that, that they got the contracts because they donated money? And I can't, but circumstantially, it's a pretty, it's a pretty clear to me what happened. It's, it's, you know, these companies came in, they, they made the donations in the right part and they got the city contract. So they donate, you know, 10 or $15,000 and then they get $150,000 worth of, worth of, worth of towing business. And, uh, the city council took it up. It, it was it was an, it was something that they had an issue with. They you know they they took up the cause to work on legislation to fix that. And so, uh, what they ended up passing was was that anyone who donated to uh, a political campaign connected to a towing company, that towing company was no longer eligible to bid on the contract. And the mayor vetoed it. The mayor vetoed this bill. And so I'm questioning, you know, what possible motivation could you have for vetoing a bill like that? To me, that's good government. That's what we need to be doing. We don't want, what we want is the company that's going to do the best job for the city. That's going to provide the best service at the best cost and, and provide the best service to our residents. We don't want the company that cuts the fattest check to get the contract. So I had a real problem with that. I was, I was, I was genuinely upset ab- about it. And Alex and I agree on a lot of things, but that was one thing that I was, I have to say, I was just genuinely disappointed. And, and I cannot to this day think of a, a good reason to veto that piece of legislation, aside from the fact that it was going to cost them $20,000 in campaign donations the next election cycle. So the city council, which which uh, doesn't do this often, actually overrode the veto, and it's now and it's now law, and I'm glad for it. So, you know, if I'm elected mayor, that that's the type of stuff that we're going to work on is working with the city council. And obviously, as a former city councilor, I have a good personal relationship with a number of uh, councilors, and I think I understand the process to the level that we can make progress not just on the towing contracts, but with how we do business in the city in general, campaign contributions, and how how we award city contracts really can be cleaned up 
can be put out in the open a lot more for our residents to uh, to investigate. And frankly, one of the reasons I'm excited that that you've been so proactive with uh, with radio plasma is that you know th- th- there's kind of an outlet here that's able to kind of delve into some of these things and do some investigative journalism and kind of hold uh, hold candidates and elected officials accountable on this type of stuff. I think that that's something that's really a healthy uh, a healthy thing. So. This conversation is flowing really organically because every answer leads to the next question mm. on the topics that also are part of your campaign. And sure. now it's about business. Mm. And this is, of course, one big issue to address. Businesses are needed in Holyoke. Some people think we need to drive more business from outside, while also it is important to keep focus on the business that currently are here in the city and to keep promoting and helping new businesses to emerge locally here in the city. So there's a different approach to this topic of bringing business. Mm -hmm. What is yours? Sure, I, and I think I actually haven't looked through my website in a, in a little bit, but I, I believe we we actually address both issues. So, um, so the first one is is you know growing local businesses, helping local businesses expand. I think you know there's a statistic you hear repeated often. You know, one in ten businesses succeed. You know, the other nine fail. So we have these established businesses in the city already. So, you know, one line of thought is that. Uh, helping these businesses grow and, and, and maybe sometimes just helping these businesses remain in business is a species of progress. And so one of the examples I give is my barber. So my barber, Jose, um, you know, I go to the same barber. I'm very loyal to my barber and he has a business on Dwight Street right across from Veterans Park. And so he, he runs this salon with his wife. And so they decided, you know, they're, they're business people, they decided that the new trend in, in hair salons is that they serve champagne, right? So people come in and they have champagne or, or they come in and they have a beer, whatever. It, it is what it is. I mean, I don't really, you know, that's what they, they determined was what they wanted to do in their business. So he said, well, Jay, you know, you used to be a city councilor You know, how, how can I go about this? And I said, well, you know, I know a lot of, pe- a lot of smaller businesses um, would get just a beer and wine license, and you know you go in front of the the license board, and you and you and you apply for a beer and li- wine license, and there are seasonal licenses. And he said, "All right, so you know we went down to the office of economic development to try to kind of get this process started." He and I did it, and and this is eleven o'clock on a Wednesday, so it's really about as like prime time of business hours as I can as I can conceive of, and we couldn't find a single person. So we're, you know, the whole place is empty. We're, we're, we're at the Office of Economic Development. We're knocking on doors. Finally, somebody pokes their head out and, and Jose explains, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm running this business. I'm trying to, you know, do this and that. And they give them a pamphlet and they say, you know, here's a, here's a pamphlet about, you know, liquor licenses. And, it, and it, was, it had nothing to do with seasonal licenses. It had nothing to do with the license board. It was just the general state rules on licenses. And so we left and Jose is like, you know, that wasn't very helpful, you know what I mean? And so I think the point is, is that, you know, Jose is a small business, right? He runs a small business, it's a barbershop, but he's been in Hoyoke for 15 years. He's a graduate of Dean Tech. You know, he grew up in the flats. He's a Hoyoke person, you know what I mean? And he wants to keep his business here and he wants his business to expand. It's a small business, it's, it's maybe it's not a good punchline. It's, it doesn't, it's not something that you write a press release about, but these small things is the job. That's how you help keep businesses here. When a business comes in, you don't say, here's a pamphlet. You have somebody available and you say, come sit down. Like, what's, what are you looking to accomplish? 
and how do we help you accomplish it? And, and I was frustrated by that fact. I was frustrated by the fact that we couldn't find anybody, first of all, and second of all, by the, the, the way he was just treated. He was just dis- dismissed almost as not really worth their time. So that, that to me is, is something that I always assumed was being taken care of. I always assumed that businesses had full access to the government and you know, we were gonna trip over ourselves to try to accommodate these types of things. And when I found out that we weren't, to that extent, that was a, a big moment for me of really questioning what's going on in the city. So there's that, helping new businesses grow, um, making it easy for them, easier for them generally. So <clears throat> attracting new businesses is another thing, right? New growth in the city, and I've said it a number of times, is is terrible. We we were at eight point eight million last year, and so to, and and which again we talked about context that might have been before we started recording, but. 8.8 million was our new growth last uh, last year, and this is from the Department of Revenue uh, website, so it's all verifiable, and I've put, and I've put this out uh, in press releases. So, you know, on its own, 8.8 million. It's like I don't know, you know, I know what I make a year, and it's not anywhere near that. That sounds like a lot of money. So, giving some context to it, uh, you know, Westfield was at 35 million, Northampton was at 45 million, West Springfield was at 36 million, Amherst was at 48 million. I mean, Springfield brought in the casino, so their numbers are all skewed. But even Southampton, which has maybe 3,000 people, had more economic growth in Hoyoke last year, 10 million dollars, and last year wasn't an anomaly. So we went through the numbers. We compared Hoyoke to every community in uh, the Pioneer Valley. So this is even small, small, you know, Hoyoke has 40,000 people. We're comparing it, you know, to uh, Longmeadow, East Longmeadow, Agawam, some smaller communities. We're at the bottom of the list every single year for the last five years, you know, either last or second last. So I'm like, well, maybe it's, you know, those communities have a little bit of a different socioeconomic challenges than Hoyoke. So let's look at gateway cities, right? Gateway cities are cities like Hoyoke, you know, cities that are old industrial cities that kind of had some hard, you know, fell on, fell on some hard times. For the last five years, we're last place among gateway cities. The other year, we were second last. So the new growth has not been there. we're, We're really falling behind. So what do we do about it? You know, it's easy to point out a problem, but without a solution, you're, you're not really helping things. So, you know, the first thing we're looking at is red tape. So uh, the Dunkin' Donuts that came in, and I talked about this at the debate, I think. I mentioned how I don't actually don't particularly like Dunkin' Donuts. Um, coffee very much, but, um, and I actually live in that neighborhood, so I'm not thrilled about the idea of, of a business being there, but they've been working on that project for four years. So it's taken them four years to get to a point now where they still need a sign-off from, I think, uh, is it the planning board? there's still more layers of bureaucracy that, that they have to get through before they can invest all their money in this enterprise and hope that the enterprise makes money. And again, context, right? So Dunkin' Donuts uses the same or the same developer for all their projects in the region. So they said what's taken uh, 14 months in Hoyoke was accomplished in one day in Northampton. Okay, so so that's that's a problem to me. I mean, that's not... What's taken a week in Hoyoke takes one day. 14 months, a year and two months is a long time to be waiting when Northampton has a streamlined process where you go in one day, you, you did, did it, did it, did it, all the, you know, the, the paperwork and the various boards and this and that. And, and of course, there's always going to be, um, you know, open meeting law and different things like that, where, where, which are important. And we should, should our, you know, our residents should be able to have their say. And there's going to be some limits to how fast we can do things. And I think that's a good thing. But... You know, the, the difference is astounding. You know, to me, I was shocked when I heard that. And then 
So I, I thought, well, maybe that's an anomaly, you know? So I started seeking out some uh, real estate attorneys in the region and, and, and it was every single person I talked to, I was, I was almost begging for a good story. You know, Hoyoke's my hometown and it was like hurting me, you know, that we were so far behind. It really was. I was like disturbed by it. And another very crystal clear example is uh, there's a Chinese food restaurant. A family wanted to open one in Springfield and one in Hoyoke right at the same time. So the one in Springfield, it took them three months. The one in Hoyoke, it took them 13 months. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, granted, you know, maybe there's some issues with property or some, some small thing, but the difference shouldn't be, it shouldn't be four times as long. So, you know, that to me is as significant of an impact on local business as our tax rate. You know, if you can go to Northampton and get something done in a day and pay a little bit more in taxes, I think you're going to do that rather than waiting a year, a year and two months uh, and coming to Hoyoke. And, and I mean, our business tax rate obviously is pretty high, but you know, that's only one component of the overall tax bill. I think it's a bit overstated, but um, you know, that to me is an important, an important thing. We really need to work, and, and this is something that you're gonna have to have a mayor that can work with the city council, because I mean, most of it is gonna, is gonna go through the council. You're gonna have to have somebody that understands the process and respects the city council and is able to kind of lead and say, listen, this is what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we're, we're, trying, to we're trying to streamline this process for, for businesses, and this is why. You know, what we need from the council is X, Y, and Z ordinances to be changed to, you know, uh, one, two, and three ordinances. And, and being able to have that productive debate with whomever is on the council to get that done, right? So to me, that, that's what we need to be focusing on is, is really making the process easier. Those, that's something that we control, can control. That's low-hanging fruit. We want to uh, lower business taxes. We want to lower residential taxes. So do I. But this is something that we can do no matter what else happens. It, it's completely un, in our control to make Hoyoke an easy place to do business. And, and again, this is something that, you know, I guess I had always assumed that we did well. And when I found out that not only didn't we do it well, but we did it worse than everybody else. And then I looked at our new growth numbers and saw how far behind we are from every other comparable community. It's not just a little. It's not like Hoyoke was at nine and Westfield was at 12. You know, it's, it's, Westfield has four times the new growth. I mean, to me, that's, that's just not acceptable. It really isn't. You know, we really need to, we really need to have a greater sense of urgency about the whole situation. So that's how I feel about that. <laughs> we are having this conversation today with Jason Ferreira, mayoral candidate for the 2017 election in the city of Holyoke. We are covering different topics that are among the most relevant and important that have been in the conversation in the community and during the mayoral forum at the past September 20th and doing a follow-up on this specific event that allows us to know at that time the four mayoral candidates that determine that now it is you and incumbent Mayor Alex Morse, the ones on the ballot for November 7th. There was a question that raised a lot of concern because of the answer. And I know at that moment, the limitations of time to answer a question that could have a lot of different ways to address, maybe brought up a little bit of confusion or misunderstanding. And the idea of these conversations in this series, Know Your Candidates, is to allow that open conversation, that open dialogue about these issues. So there was a question from the public 
This was actually part of a poll made on different websites, uh, the Facebook pages of the neighborhood associations and this podcast itself. And the question was, what will you do for the arts and culture outside the Ray Street area? This question was answered by the four candidates. And the answer by Jason Ferreira is the one that uh, I'm referring right now is the one that caused a little bit of controversy, if we, if we sure. can say it. But just sure. to have the proper context, let's listen to the answer by Jason Ferreira. Uh, you know, my opinion, arts and culture to me is a is a pretty far down my list and things that we need to take care of. I mean, before you go to an art opening, you need to have a job. Before you go uh, out to dinner, you need to have a safe place to, to sleep and a safe park for your child to play in and a good school for them to attend. So for me, you know, arts and culture is a nice thing, but we really need to focus on the basics first. We need to focus on economic development, regaining local control of our public schools, Um, you know, clean streets, safe parks. That, that's, that's what our focus is going to be. I'm not going to focus on arts and culture. I'll say it, I'll say it flat out right now. It's, it, to me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it, it's a nice thing. Okay, it's a nice thing, but it's, it's, it's significantly less important to me than, it, than about 500 other things, and I'm going to work on those things before I, before I uh, dedicate any time to, to arts and culture. To me, that's a secondary thing. Thank you. So that was the answer at the Mayoral Forum, and Now, let's follow up on that, so with more time and way to keep addressing this topic, because it is a really important one for a city that is multicultural and diverse. So this is the time to follow up on arts and culture. Sure, thank you. I'm so thrilled. I, I genu genuinely am so thrilled that you asked this question, because I definitely have gotten a lot of... Um, You phrased it in a nice way. Maybe you should be the one running for office, but I think uh, the way, you know, the way I described it, um, maybe wasn't the didn't capture the intention of what I what I had been uh, thinking. So, first of all, I just want to say, I you know, listening to the sound of my own voice is 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 a terrible thing for me. I, I sound I, I don't know if you remember the Seinfeld episode when George had to listen to a uh, a book on tape and it sounded exactly uh, ex exactly like his voice and it drove him crazy. So. That's, uh, that's how I was feeling listening to that answer. But um, I think that the uh, intent of my answer was to try to give some sense of priority to what we're looking at. So again, the, the single parent test, right? The single parent with three children test is a good example here. So, you know, what is the most important thing to a single parent? You know, it could be schools. Um, I'm sure a, a, a safe place to live is important. Food, a safe park for their children to go to go into. Like these are the things that are going to be the the primary focus of what we're working on is is providing those services. You know, I think the problem with the answer that I gave, the, the problem that I have with with my own answer, is that it was very dismissive of and, and kind of bunched in. Uh, Uh, the culture of our city with, you know, one or two art galleries, which I don't view as really impacting uh, the average citizen very much. So I think that's kind of the, the, where I sounded like a jerk there, to be honest. And that, that wasn't really what we, what we were talking about. I think what I wanted to do is give a sense of, of what we're focusing on, you know, and why we're focusing on that. You know, we talked about the train station before, you know. Uh, the train station is a great thing. You know, Gateway City Arts is a great place. You know, the different canal galleries is a beautiful place on Ray Street. Fine. But, you know, two blocks away, you know, I went door knocking and nobody even knew that it was there. 
You know, it just isn't impacting the lives of the average Holyoke person to the degree that I felt we needed to make it a primary focus. You know, it's a nice thing that we'll, we'll certainly work to facilitate. And, you know, you'll certainly see me at every uh, event I get invited to. We do our uh, printing down at the Holyoke Creative Arts Center, all of our printing down at the Holyoke Creative Arts Center. And so, you know, I think that was the problem really is that, it, and, and so expanding, I, I think on the original question, I'm not sure, it was it an audience question? Yes. Is that you know Hoyoke is a place and it's it's sort of a mini um, a mini America in a way you know it's really a melting pot you know there's there's just so and and for me and somebody was asking me about uh, Puerto Rican culture the other day and I was like you know I've never known a Hoyoke that wasn't fifty percent uh, Latino I really I, I've grown up in a Hoyoke that's had the St Patrick's Day parade and all the you know the various cultural things that come from that and and. You know, also going to Fernanda's restaurant and getting, you know, an empanada or getting a relleno or just, you know, it's just, it just to me is, isn't, is just a Hoyoke thing. It doesn't really register, I guess, as a, as a specific cultural thing. But, you know, I think those, those things are, are really part of what, what makes Hoyoke unique and makes it a, a much more attractive place, at least for me, is that, you know, you can come to Hoyoke and you can experience a lot of different culture and you can experience different people and you can grow up and raise your children here. And, you know, at the time when I was going to high school, I just didn't realize the value of, of living in a, in a society or a, a living in a community that had so many different people until I went to UMass and met people that have gone to school with people who are exactly the same as them their entire life and how much further ahead I was <laughs> in my ability to just interact with other people and, and really just be comfortable in almost any situation. And I think, um, to me, that's really one of the greatest things that Hoyoke has to offer. And, and um, so, yeah, just to clarify, I guess in general, I think, um, you know, the culture of our city is certainly a strength. Arts has a, a, a big role to play in, uh, in our revival. But my focus is going to be on, you know, like I said, economic development, public safety and schools. You know, until I feel comfortable that our residents are getting the best education that they possibly can, that they're safe in their homes, that there's jobs available, and that we're bringing businesses into the city so our taxes can, can stop going up every single year. I'm not going to move arts and culture, or I'm not going to move a focus on arts, you know, up. It's going to be those three things, economic development, public safety, public schools on repeat until, you know, until we make some big progress there. And I think that's, that was the point I was trying to make. Let's now get back to the topic of division that we were mentioning at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. Because it is a division, yes. And we've been noticing how, especially with the environment in our nation, in the federal level, has brought this perception of division in a level that is alarming, is concerning. And it is sad to say that racism is real. And yes, it's happening here in Holyoke. Mm -hmm. What will you do as a mayor to address this issue? Sure. I think, <clears throat> you know, first off, one of the things that, that I think about it is that You know, racism, I think, has always been here. The, the only difference now is that it's kind of being unveiled a little bit more. You know, I think that's really a, one of the big differences is that have we all changed as a society? I think, I think really it's just more of a, you know, this is who we've always been. And now we're starting to understand where we are and starting to have these debates about how to 
move forward. You know what I mean? And, and it's going to get ugly sometimes and it's going to get, there's going to be insults and people are going to be upset and there's going to be a lot of, you know, interfighting and there's going to be people that agree on a lot of things that disagree on, you know, some of these issues that are being brought forward. And, you know, as long as it's, as it's not escalating into physical violence, I think it's a healthy thing. I really do. You know, you can have a healthy argument and you can yell at the top of your lungs and you can, you know, not talk to your friend for three weeks. But, you know, to me, that's what it's going to look like. It's a tough issue that our, that our country has been grappling with for centuries. It, it's not something that you're going to sit on social media and, and convince one person to change the way they've always grown up. And all of a sudden we're all happy. It's going to, it's going to be ugly. It's going to take some, uh, some protest and it's going to take some uh, advocacy and it's going to take some fighting and it's going to take a lot of things that make us uncomfortable. But I think that, you know, while, you know, it makes me uncomfortable to see some, some of it, a lot of it, frankly, uh, developing, it's, you know, are we further ahead today than we were a year ago in, the, in you know, on the topic of race? And I, and I would say that we that we probably are, if we're being realistic about about it, and the fact that at least now we're we're addressing it openly. We're we're saying you know this is something that's here, and we're going to start to to have these debates. You know, it's certainly <laughs> far from over, but I mean, I think we're we're very slightly move, starting to move forward, and that it's it's something that's being talked about openly now, and it's um, you know it's a it's a frightening thing for a lot of people, and like I said, people are going to be uncomfortable with it. They're set in their ways, and they're not used to change, and they're not used to it being right in their face. And um, but too bad, you know what? That's that's how it is, and that's what what I think we need to do. And um, you know, I'm going to participate as as much as I can, and I'm going to I'm going to you know add my two cents in, and I'll agree with one person and disagree with another, and um, hopefully I can contribute to that. But you know, I think. The important thing is that we really respect other perspectives and understand other perspectives. You know, I think that's that's part of we get in our own bubbles. We talked about the bubble and we, you know, we say what we say on social media and then we go into our bubbles and we talk to the people who all think exactly like us. And we all we all kind of build ourselves up to think that we're right. But you don't understand what the person down the street's gone through and you don't experience you don't understand their experience and i think that's a big part of the problem too is these these bubbles and and kind of the fear of interacting with with people who are maybe different or had a different experience or who said something on social media one time that you disagreed with three years ago and now you hold it against them still you know people are complex and i think you know we need to understand that um you know or or, or be able to, to just to, to to work with people who are who are a little bit different so yeah Jason Ferreira is our mayoral candidate, and the election is happening November 7th. We are less than a month at the time of this uh, interview from this date, and how do you feel? I have to say, I feel a little bit tired. Um, you know, I actually, I've been like uh, almost, I don't want to say training, but I've been eating healthy and working out. Um, leading up to this election, because I knew it was going to be a physical grind, but um, you know, it's just a lot. It, it, it's a lot of uh, a lot of work, and I think anyone who really loves Hoyoke would love running for mayor. So you get out, and you get to meet thousands of people that you never would have otherwise met. It's just a wonderful thing to go out, and especially now after the. A preliminary election where people I get, recognize me a little bit more. So you go to the grocery store and somebody come, a little kid comes up to you and says, "Oh, I, like you know, I saw I saw what you said about you know this issue." And it's you know, and it's a an eight year old child, and and uh, it's just an interesting thing. You get to sit and have a conversation in the grocery store and kind of learn about uh, learn about their perspective and meet and meet so many cool people. And I really enjoy that part of it. Um, 
you know, electorally, I think we, we feel we're in a strong position. I think, you know, vo voter turnout is going to be key for us for sure. Um, you know, low voter turnout to me unquestionably favors an incumbent without a doubt. And, um, you know, we need to we need to really and that's what we're focusing on is working on uh, on getting the voter turnout up. I think in the, the wards that we had the higher voter turnout, we did better. So if we can get those numbers up, we're going to be right in the ballpark. Um, you know, in the preliminary, I think, uh, you know, the voters who voted for Michael Siciliano and certainly the voters who voted for Paul Bowes were were a lot of them were uh, kind of anti-Alex votes. So, you know, there are people who aren't going to necessarily agree with me, but by virtue of being the other person, you know, those votes will come our way. So I think, you know, the way we look at it as, you know, he got 56 and we're at 44. If we get the voter turnout up, we're going to be right in the ballpark. And we're certainly working hard at that. I feel good about about the plan we have in place and the work that we're doing. And, and the more uh, people we engage with, uh, the more confidence uh, we have in our ability to actually pull it off and, and win in November. Um, one of the great things I think too about running a campaign is you, is you get these volunteers that kind of come out of the woodwork to, uh, to, to support you, you know? And it's, it's a, just a unique experience to have somebody say, you know, we've never met you know, I've never met your family. I don't know who you are. I don't really, you know, I never cared cared at all. But I uh, agree so strongly with the position that you've taken that I'm going to come and volunteer my time to help you win this election. You know, it's a, it's a, just a unique experience. And you know, you meet one person, you meet five, and then you meet 25 people that are doing that, and and then you know, you see them out helping you in the campaign on a on a weekly basis. It's just a really uh, it's just a really touching thing, you know. I just I, I have to say it's it's something that I uh, I've, I I'm appreciating in the moment, you know. I'm appreciating it in the moment when I drive, uh, you know. I'm driving home after a day of knocking on doors, and I see my, you know, it's almost dark, and then I see some of my volunteers are out, and they're still knocking on doors, you know. And it's just a nice, it's really a nice thing, and I really appreciate it. And I wanted to make a note of thanking uh, my volunteers for for you know, giving up the time with their families and in their personal lives to help me uh, in this endeavor. So, yeah, for sure. Youth. Mm. Somehow you addressed it at the beginning of this mm. conversation, and this is going to be the youth asking the mayoral candidates the questions. And I want to thank you for agreeing to this conversational session that is going to happen with students from mm. Holokai. And that is going to be a whole set of questions and ways to keep knowing the candidates, but from their voices, being youth that are utilizing this space, these resources, this same podcast as a way for them to train and learn what is journalism and what is to have the responsibility of tell the story as it is. Mm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited for, for it, actually. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've, I feel that a lot of times our young people are the ones that, that can get to the to the root of the issues. And I'm looking forward to that, uh, to that debate uh, very much, absolutely. So any last remarks? Um, <clears throat> no, well, I mean, I just, I appreciate you having me down here. It's exciting, uh, it's exciting to be in the Radio Plasma room. You know, it's kind of a, it's an, it's, it's an instant iconic Hoyoke uh, image now to sit down here. I've seen the photo of, you know, dozens of or so people in the room. So I'm so excited to be down here. And you know, I appreciated the question and the dialogue. It's, it's uh, something I hope uh, all candidates for office will consider. I thought you were very fair in your questioning and uh, very professional. And uh, it's just a very, it's a comfortable setting and I'm so happy to be here. So thank you so much, Johan, for uh, taking time out of your day to give me a platform to talk a little bit more about my own platform. 
Absolutely, that's the idea, to have Holyoke involved and engaged. And this is one way to help that connection to happen. Mm. So all the information about Jason Ferreira's campaign is available on the posting of this story on radioplasma.com. And also, you can listen to the interviews and conversation with other candidates, including the incumbent mayoral candidate, Alex Morse, and the Worth candidates for city council. So this is another way that we feel we are helping the public to learn about who are your candidates, who are you voting for, and how we can come together after these conversations happen to keep the dialogue open and keep the engagement so our city has more ways to, to connect. Fantastic. Thanks again. This is Jason Ferreira, mayoral candidate for the election of 2017 in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. And this is the series of interviews, Know Your Candidates. Thank you so much to Jason Ferreira for his time. And this session was produced at the Plasma Media Lab in the Gandara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening.